Hey guys, welcome to Turn Em Loose, a podcast about bird dogs and bird hunting. Uh, before we get started, I just want to remind you to go ahead and like it and subscribe and share. Uh, if you subscribe, then you'll be able to get the new episodes as they come out and you won't have to go searching. Well, let's get right to it. Well, my friends, I've got more information on our new uh, sponsor, ESPAmerica.com. They are custom-fit molded ear attenuators, earpieces, and uh, I was—I received them oh about uh, three weeks ago, and uh, I went shooting a few days ago with them. Finally. they are everything they're said to be and uh, most of all they're just absolutely comfortable you forget you have them in you know within five minutes um and uh, i'm shooting and shooting and shooting and and finally i'm realizing uh you know this is extremely comfortable out here they block all noise above 90 decibels which you know continued um, exposure above 90 decibels will damage the nerve and for your hearing, and which is uh, what happened to me. I've got one side that's worse than the other, uh, so I sent them a copy of my hearing test, and they adjusted the uh, attenuators uh, to fit me personally. Uh, and like I said, they're form fit, so this is very, very comfortable. But their website is ESPAmerica.com, and I encourage you to give them a visit and uh, read about what they can do for you. Okay, I'm on the phone with uh, Bill Vodenhall. He's with the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission, a wildlife biologist. And uh, I ran into Bill a couple of years ago when I was coming through uh, Nebraska doing some bird hunting. And uh, I was calling everybody I could find that knew anything about prairie chickens and sharp tails. And I ended up getting to talk to Bill, and it turns out that uh, Bill's kind of the guru for the sharp tail grouse and the prairie chickens in Nebraska. Did you know you were the guru, Bill? Well, no, I've been called a legend before, but not a guru. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we, yeah, we had uh, – and we had some good discussions. In fact, I went back later on, and uh, Bill helped me and, and some other guys uh, get on a lick of uh, prairie chicken booming grounds. And uh, we actually videoed uh, prairie chickens. Uh, I had several that were within just feet of me. It was a pretty pretty exciting time, and I really – I guess I got a chance to thank you for that. And uh, we had a great time. And I think I, I, think, I think I sent that video to you. Right, right. So, uh, so Bill, we're, there's been a lot of concern this year about weather and uh, prairie chickens and the sharp tails and in uh, that Nebraska area. Uh, is that going to be a problem this year? You think with what kind of the nasty weather you guys been having? Well, it's still a little early to tell in that regard. I I'll go back a little bit in time just to give you a, a little feel of where we've been. In 2017 was really one of the worst years we've had for a long time in terms of production. June and July was absolutely dry with no precip, and there was no insect population in terms of hoppers out there. And consequently, it lost the whole year of production. And then 2018, our production was really pretty good. We had a nice uh, spring and summer, and 
and based on age ratio from our our wings that we collect in the fall and that it showed that our production was up and and that hunter success was still just a little bit less than where I'd like to see it but it, we just made up the production we had lost the year before so going into 2019 spring I was hopeful based on the wing um, information in terms of production that would be would be at least at the same level in terms of breeding birds and breeding males um, as we were the year before and that and that was the case of what I've seen on my route that we're still gathering the data from the other routes in the sand hills and and throughout but um, by and large I think um, you know they can survive the winters that we had it was pretty severe but um, all indications are our spring index is going to be fairly similar to last year so now it's just a matter of how we're going to get to the production phase so uh-huh yeah well when I was down there I hunted uh, I hunted uh, at the Nebraska National Forest and also over at McKelvey. Uh, I didn't get a chance to hunt any private ranches there, but, uh, and I, you know, I ran into, uh, that was the year you were talking that was kind of tough. That was 2017. And, uh, and I, I, you know, I agree with that, but I still got into birds. I mean, uh, but, and I had a lot of fun, but I think, uh, that it's going to be a lot better. It was a lot better last year and probably a lot better this year, hopefully. Yeah, and the age ratios of what we had that fall pretty well indicated that uh, production was down across the range. Um, you know, south of where you were hunting and actually west, uh, I worked the Sharptail Shootout, which is kind of an organized hunt and of so many teams and five-person teams, and, and I believe in. And so I got to go through like 100 grouse wings and 100 chicken wings, and the age ratio is pretty well reflected a bust in production in that part of the world. So anyway, but that vastly improved this last year, which was wonderful. So. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so you know the the setting they're having out there now is that affecting the? Uh, you think that'll affect the nesting when the time comes? Well, you know, the bomb cyclone hit us in March, and that was um, the whole state of Nebraska. I think the sandhills survived it a little bit better just because when the frost went out, it can absorb a lot of that water uh, right away, where a lot of the eastern part of the state was uh, taking in a lot of that water and the flooding and that. But the major chicken range, I think, was still fairly well intact. Now, this occurred, you know, this was primarily in March, and my route south of Bassett was mostly underwater. I had to use a UTV to get around to most wow. all the grounds on the route. And, yeah. um, and actually, it's Twin Lakes, which we own. Uh, it was flooded over the county road, so I had to enter it from several different directions. But uh, like I said, the counts were okay at that point. Um, you know, the birds themselves generally don't uh, nest in the lower ground, the real wet ground. They're generally on the side slopes of hills and so hopefully knowing that prior with the flood initially there, um, then when they went to higher ground and kind of stayed that way. In the far eastern sandals where you don't have the hills as readily because it's more like subjugated meadows, it might be a little tougher go, but, um, but hopefully, because they're, they're not going to nest in the flooded areas, so yeah. uh, hopefully we can get through that. The thing that's got me a little concerned right now is just primarily the the coolness that we've had and then all the wet weather. We're about a week away from probably some of the initial hatching occur the last week of May, uh, but the bulk of that will be the first couple of weeks of June. And 
So to me, it would be nice to have that period, you know, fairly warm, not real warm, but uh, better than 40 degrees, and then uh, right. and then and then try to have that insect population right there. And generally, with coolness like that, you probably won't see the hoppers like you want to in early June. And that would uh-huh. be a critical that would be a critical period because they the young really rely on that for for brood survival those first two or three weeks. And so yeah, it'll be a critical period for us. You know, that's real funny. Uh, you and I, we talked about uh, grasshoppers and how important they are to these these birds. And I went uh, hunted uh, Montana September of last year. And uh, I got up there, and we really didn't have any indication whether it was going to be a good year or a bad year. Everybody thought, well, it's going to be a great year for shark tails. I mean, great, great, yeah. great. I got up there, and it was dismal. And uh, I got to thinking about this grasshopper thing. And, you know, they didn't have any hoppers at all. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's other other aspects to that, too, but but they had zero grasshoppers. Usually when you're walking through the fields, bird hunting, you know, grasshoppers are coming out everywhere, especially right. in September. But, you know, and, and uh, you know, as bird hunters, we try to correlate everything we can with our uh, what we're seeing to our success or lack of success. But grasshoppers right. is, is really important. We've noticed yeah. that all over everywhere we've got, yeah. especially early in the fall, you know. I mean, yeah. Well, that's why, you know, I've always really enjoyed the sandhills because you have a high forb diversity within your grasslands, you know, and it's the forb or the legume plant community that is attracting the insects. So if you have good diversity out there, you'll have hoppers, and you don't generally have to go that far to to get to them, you know. If you get in other areas of the country, like, say, in Minnesota or southeast Nebraska where you have dominated by brome, uh, those chicks might have to go a long ways from where they hatch uh, just to get to some brood cover, which might be alfalfa or, or something with a legume or, or a fork component, you know, just to get oh. towards the insects. So the further they have to travel, you know, you have pretty high mortality if they have to go a long ways. They have to, they can go up to two miles in, in the first week, uh, 10 days of life. And so if they got to travel that far, it's going to be higher mortality associated with that. So brood survival could be less. So the sandhills really lend themselves by having good forb diversity to be in, be in that way. The thing that surprised me too is usually with drought, like we had in 2017, usually with drought is where you see hopper stuff come on sooner. And uh-huh. ranchers will complain because they want to spray them. And a lot of times when I see the hoppers, I would say, well, that's going to be a good thing from a grouse standpoint, but I didn't see any that year, June and July. They didn't come on until about August, and that was too late from a, a brood survival standpoint. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, really, that's really interesting. So the yeah. chicks, when 10-day-old chicks can go two miles to eat. Yeah, they documented some of that, but that's a long ways to go. You don't want yeah. them to go very far, you know. You'd rather they stayed in the same pasture and in a good locality and not have to travel. That's the risk you run. So. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that is really interesting stuff. So, so we really don't know then this year about Nebraska, and I'm I'm kind of counting on what you're telling me to overflow all the way up to the uh, like uh, pier up in that area. Right. Right. Um, I met the biologist up there. Well, the last couple of years I've hunted up there, I ran into this, run run into the same guy and. And uh, they've been having banner chicken years. Uh, right. Last year was a great one. And uh, so I'm kind of getting an idea about what that's going to be like this year, too. 
uh, it sounds to me like it's uh, it could be another good year as well. We're kind of holding our breath, but uh, well, I think we all are. You know, South Dakota has been fairly wet. You know, and you look at the western part of the state. Yesterday they had what snow and blizzards and, and yeah. those kind of conditions, and that's almost unheard of in May. But uh, I was telling somebody, I hope they didn't plant their gardens out there because I have to replant. <laughs> so anyway, so but that's really kind of strange to have when you're almost close to Memorial Day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And here I am sitting. It's 95 degrees, you know. Yeah. You can you can keep that and tornadoes and everything else. Oh gosh. Yeah. They go blast. <laughs> they go blasting through here all the time. We've been we've yeah. been just real lucky, but. Right. Okay. Well, that's great. But, uh, yeah. I'll probably know maybe have a little better feel once I get through the month of June and into early July. You know. Um, you know, if they do renet the temps, will We'll probably know that's usually around the first week of July. You start to see those clutches or hatch. And so I'll have a little better feel by the time I get there. At least. So, Will, um, speaking of re-nesting, that's glad you brought that up. Do, uh, will they normally – well, no. If they have a successful clutch there, then they will not re-nest, right? They'll just, yeah, typically uh, just not. Just, yeah. If they okay. – in the first few days or so, if they're – their clutch is destroyed or, or whatever, they'll or get flooded out. They'll go and re-nest, but you can have, I believe, right up to three re-nest attempts. But each time you have a re-nest attempt, your clutch sizes generally tend to get smaller. So, you know, yeah. So it's always kind of nice to have that first clutch come off, and and that kind of sets the stage. So, absolutely. So are they? Do they break up? Um, so when I go up there in September, let's say, or not September, but when they open up, I'm still have Montana on my mind. But uh, when I go up there to hunt chickens, uh, you know, when the season opens, do they um, do they stay in a family unit, or will they still be in a family unit early in the year, or uh, will they? Yeah, they'll still be in family units in August, and then, um, and well, in September. And probably still that way by mid to late October. Um, usually when they get the corn harvest done, the birds, and they get closer to November, they start to getting into their winter concentration. So yeah. um, they yeah. might still be in, in family groups, but they're in larger uh, concentrations and will be that way all winter long. You know? Okay. So, um, Gosh, yeah. yeah. We might, still, uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say they still continue to visit the booming grounds and the dancing grounds um what i mean by that is uh everybody thinks just the breeding season of the month of april and into march is about the only time they attend those uh booming grounds but they'll actually visit them 10 months out of the year and so probably uh july and august when it's really hot the attendance there it's primarily dominant males that are sitting on the lex about every morning briefly and then then they go and so um when you get to September in the honey season, you know, I hear of hunters going in and then they, they come in with uh, about three or four birds and they're all adult males. I pretty well know what happened if they got onto a booming ground and, and that's where they were. If you think about it, the day length in September is the same as what it is in April. And so it's triggered by photo period <laughs> in terms of attending them. So. Very, very interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. I guess that's that's amazing to me. Well, right. That's cool. That is very cool. Okay, well, that makes a lot of sense. And 
So there are they they playing that sound, that booming sound when they're on the lek and later in the year? Uh they're not very vocal at that point. Nothing like what they are in in April and March. Uh they really start to taper off in in May or the latter part of April, primarily because all the hens are bred. Uh-huh. And so they're out nesting and so their activity just drops right off. They'll be active from sunrise and or half hour before roughly and and then if there's no hens coming um by sunrise or shortly thereafter then they'll they'll just sit there on their little territories on their left and and uh we'll try to wait for a hen to go and then they just disperse off to go feed and do other things both during the day. So So yeah. Yeah. That is uh that's very interesting what you told me. And one thing you did tell me when we were down there looking on that lake, um which I think I've never been as cold in my entire life that day. I think we got up to zero degrees that morning with a 15-mile-an-hour yeah. wind. Yeah. Broke the record for the cold temperature that day, and I was, <laughs> I was cold. But right. you, you said that the, the these males are out there, and like I said, we were just in a few feet of them. We were in the middle of them, actually. And uh, they're, they're fighting and jumping around and uh, strutting and doing all their thing. And you said that there's going to be a one-dominant male out of that, that the females will breed to. Right. Is that, did, I, did I understand that correctly? So uh, that's why so, it's so important to these guys. <laughs> there, right. you know. Well, you know, when you think, they go to these grounds each spring. And actually, I'll just the example of the ground you were on, but that's on my Bassett route. We started the Bassett route in 1955. And when I started in 1982, I've been continuing to do that route. And they're on the same knob in the hill year after year after year. And so I focus a lot of my attention on where there might be new grounds and the like, you know. And I, uh-huh. uh, one thing that always kind of surprises me is that uh, when you have gallinaceous birds, the turnover rate within a population is 65 to 70 percent. So you always have recruitment of new individuals. Well, uh-huh. if that's the case, how can they – maintain on the same lack year after year if if one male out of 15 cocks on that particular lack uh, is taking care of all the breeding, you know. So if he yeah. gets knocked off, who does it, you know. The only way that I can see that that probably falls uh, into play is because they attend these lecks 10 months out of the year. And so there might be some replacement, but they know where those lecks are, and, and that's where they go to revisit. And so anyway, but, yeah, on a lack, you might have 15 – males on the ground they all have their own individual territories and that's where you see a lot of the fighting between males at, at the edges of their territories and and uh, and and a lot of the battles that uh, occur a female when she comes to be bred she always lands on the outside of the ground and then she walks right through the middle of it and so they just put on all kinds of displays trying to attract her but ultimately it's just the one guy that <laughs> gets to take care of the business well, yeah. Like. So, anyway, but uh, yeah, it's kind of a neat deal. Yeah. So, I, I, I was it. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to mention, you know, so a lot of the Indian ceremonial dances from way back when, you know, you the, you hear the chicken dance. That's what a lot of the when the males are doing their hooting and hollering. That's what they're mimicking is the chickens on the on the display grounds. So. Very interesting. Oh yeah. 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 Well. Uh, yeah, we were trying to figure out who the dominant male was that day, but uh, we saw one. I kind of was videoing him. He was beating everybody up, but you know, I don't know. You know, I yeah. Generally, right in the center of the in the center of the booming ground, 
is the more dominant one. He'll be more aggressive and fighting them off from all directions. Actually, uh-huh. that ground that you, where I said two up, it moved about oh, 35 yards um, to the north on a little peninsula. There's still birds right where I had your blinds set up, but um, basically they went a little further uh, to the north, and that's where I had the blind set up this time, and that's where the dominant guy was at. Right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I remember you told us, too, what was interesting. You said, now, if you're in there and and somebody makes a noise and they all fly off, just stay right there because they'll be back. He said, they're 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 there for a reason, and and you're not going to bother them. <laughs> right, they're, they're, that's where they go, and they're coming back. <laughs> yeah, so. and I yeah, it's pretty neat to see. The one thing they're not aware of, and actually on the, where I had to blind this year is I had uh, a male outside my the window on the left side of the blind, at about oh, 15 feet or so, and and I went back because we're doing a genetic study, so I was looking for feathers on each of the legs and. I said, well, this didn't work out for him, but there was his head and his wing. So, oh. uh, so he's pretty vulnerable to aerial predators, you know, because they're not looking yeah. above them as readily as they would from side to side, you know. So, anyway. Yeah. What's the biggest, uh, uh, avian predator out there? What's the, what's the, the main one that, that oh, hammers most these of them birds? Or primarily hawks, but I've had, I've had a golden eagle pull a bird right through the middle of one of my traps one time, and he's kind of stuck his talons through the, the two-by-four mesh and just grabbed the bird and pulled it through. But that's a very <laughs> rare occasion to see something like that. So. Oh, I saw those guys out in Idaho. They are amazing. They are amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, Bill, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Uh, go ahead and uh, get this out to our listeners and uh, maybe uh, – Maybe they'll learn something. I certainly learned a lot, and uh, I really do appreciate you taking your time. Hey, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. So look forward to seeing you this fall, and if you need anything else, feel free to give me a call. Appreciate it. Thanks, Bill. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for this episode, and... I'd uh, encourage you all to go ahead and share this with friends. Uh, Go ahead and like and subscribe if uh, you can. I noticed that the platforms have changed now. Uh, Most people aren't using Anchor. They're using their iPhones, which is uh, great. That's an easy way to do it. Just tell, hey, Siri, play a bird hunter's thoughts. And suddenly the podcast will appear. But I'd also like to... uh, let you know that my book has been published. It's called Endless October. It's paperback on Amazon, and you can go ahead and order it there. Uh, it's also an ebook, and uh, you can order it as well. Uh, if you go to my Facebook page, Endless October, uh, there's a uh, spot on there where you can order an autographed copy if you desire. So you can also visit a Bird Hunter's Thoughts. Uh, my blog and you can uh, listen to the podcast there and you can also um, read uh, a lot of the articles that are in the books so I appreciate you guys Uh, once again like uh, subscribe and share and until next time thank you